Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. And a lot of it was exogenous. A lot of it was endogenous for myself, just sort of generating these expectations and next and next. And you've got to be better than the next person. You've got to be better than you were yesterday. And of course, when you get that senior, you know, you're one of the few women in the room. You're definitely one of the only black folks in the room. And so you're, you're constantly in this loop of, you know, am I showing up in the right way? Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Ashate Dozier, founder and CEO of Bossy Cosmetics. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. All right, everyone. Ashate, also known as Aisha, is a 20-year global finance and capital markets executive with transaction experience with Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Lehman Brothers, Standard Charter Bank, World Bank, and Rand Merchant Bank. She is now currently the founder of Bossy Cosmetics, a hyper-growth independent beauty company that targets ambitious working women. Under her leadership, the company has grown from a purely digitally native footprint to retailing in over 600 JCPenney retail doors across the country, as well as on Amazon.com. In 2021, the brand was selected as one of the coveted Oprah's favorite things and has won honorable mentions and awards from Fast Company and Innovation by Design, and various product awards from Self and Ebony Magazine. She has been featured in NPR's How I Built Resilience, Forbes, W Magazine, InStyle, Refinery29, Essence, Cosmo, Mary Claire, BET Networks, Fashionista, The Zoe Report, amongst many others. Aisha, welcome to Business of the Beat, my friend. It is so good to have you on the show. It is such an honor to be invited and it's exciting to finally be on the show after like a few months or maybe even years of talking about this. Well, it's funny because so many people were like, you need to know her. You need to know her. She's amazing. And then it really was like all the emails and the teams. And then it was our time at the Business of Beauty Summit that it was like, all right, girl, we're together. We finally did it. <laughs> let's, let's make it happen. And it's happened. So I'm so grateful. <laughs> I'm happy that I got to meet you there at the Business of Beauty Summit. That was really amazing. And as you said, I, you know, people I respect, adore, 
truly value were like, wait, you don't know Kendra? Why don't you know Kendra? And so by the time the 5,000th person said it, I was like, I got to meet this Kendra. Well, I am so happy. And the feeling is mutual. And I am so excited to talk to you and to share your experience with our listeners, because we have some phenomenal people on the show. You know, we're season three, over 130 something episodes. And what I'm excited to dig into is one, your background, you are not the likely suspect, let's just say, of creating such a phenomenal brand. You have, I mean, 130 billion in M&A that you've worked across public capital markets. I mean, and you're a global citizen. And so I'm just dying to hear how you are Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Lehman Brothers, like all of this amazing financial brain, but you are gorgeous and you're kind and you're sensitive and you're a beauty founder and you've created something that is shaking up the industry. So I'll stop gushing over you. So you tell us everything. Take it from the beginning. You're a global citizen. How did that happen? Who are you? Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) We're going to go way back. So I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, um, born to Nigerian immigrant parents who my dad was in the military in Nigeria and had gotten a scholarship to come to the U.S. after the war in Nigeria. And he was like, all right, I'm coming to the U.S. And he was like, yeah, I think I need a wife as well. So he literally just met my mom and was like, yo, let's get married. I like you. You're cute. And they didn't really know each other that well. got married, moved to Boston and had me. And for a number of, you know, sad reasons, that marriage did not last. I think I was one by the time they had separated. And so I lived the first sort of decade of my life being raised by my immigrant single mom and then have lived all over the world since then. So when I was 10, my mom wanted to move back to Nigeria to be closer to family. So we moved to Nigeria. So I went to middle school and high school in Nigeria and then moved back to the U.S. where I was an undergrad at Cornell. Um, And then honestly, people ask me how I got into the finance industry. And I would say, so first of all, I was really good at math. I've always been quite numerate, loved math. Thought I would be an econ professor, to be honest, like teaching statistics until I found out how much investment bankers made for the summer. And I was like, wait, you're going to pay me $600 a month to be an intern? For me, that was like, you paid me a billion dollars. So I went to become an investment banking intern because I was, you know, like most first generation black folk, poor, broke, right? Like that whole 10 years in Boston was in the projects, let's be clear. And so I found this career as an investment banker and then ended up doing that in between, went to business school, but just sort of wanted to see the world. And I thought I would do it for just two years. But then went to business school after three years. And then after that, you know, you just, you keep making more money. You're getting, you know, a nicer business card title. You can afford to travel. You can do all the stuff that you (laughs) do, you know, with your single mom. And so 20 some odd years went by of me saying, I'm going to go pursue my passion one day, Um, but just didn't. Got married, had three sons, and then spectacularly burned out. I ended up in the hospital with severe hypertension and a panic attack to go with it. And um, that was the beginning of Aisha 2.0. Wow. You know, it's so interesting because we are on this kind of like race and journey. And it's always like who inflicts that on us, right? There's so much to be said now about 
the soft life and this. And it's so interesting because I talked to my mom and she's like, no one said, go and do this, go and create this. You, she was like in kindergarten, she was like before kindergarten, you were worried about kindergarten and kindergarten, you were worried about sixth grade and sixth grade, you were worried about high school. You were worried about college. You wanted to do this. And like, I firmly was like, I'm going to be the president of my sorority. I'm going to join every club. And I'm at this interesting place now where to your point, it's like, who told you that? No one was making me do it. And so then we have these moments where we have to stop and pause. And so whenever you did all of that, and then you had to, you were forced to stop and pause, what were some of the revelations and the thinking that you were kind of experiencing? Like, what was that bridge of saying I've had too much? I think for me, the biggest thing that shocked me was my need for external validation. If you had asked me before I spectacularly burned out, you know, if I relied on what people thought about me. I would have been insulted, like absolutely not. I'm confident, you know, I dance to the beat of my own drum. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing because I want to do it. And in my post, you know, sort of burnout reflection year, I spent a year kind of just really unpacking, unlearning, relearning, repacking. I realized that I was in this sort of performance mode of, you know, I didn't realize how much, you know, kind of shame I had carried you know, in my culture where my mom and my dad had divorced and I was raised by a single mom. And I felt very much like I had to show that I would be successful so that she doesn't seem like a failure. Right. And so there was just so much that I was carrying from like the age of three (laughs) that, that became the woman that I was, who was like, you know, filled with insatiable desires of, okay, I want to be an analyst. I want to be an associate. Then I want to be VP. Then I want to be managing director. And now I want to go live in London. And I've worked on a $2 billion deal. And I want to work on a $20 billion deal, a $50 billion. And then you do all these things. You work in Central and South America and Asia, all these places. And you're like, I actually don't really like this. And I am writing this rule book for myself. And, you know, you achieve, and then you're just, you're back in your hotel room, you know, in Singapore, your kids are in another country and you're just not happy. And so I think a lot of it was just realizing that I was dancing to music that somebody else had written and produced and directed, but I thought that I was dancing to the beat of my own drum. Wow. I mean, it's like revealing the truth, right? And you are such an inspiration Because you were able to see that, you know, so much of it is our own self-awareness, right? Our own ability to get outside of ourselves and to say, actually, I'm not really happy. I think that I am because I'm supposed to be and I'm making all this money and I'm experiencing the world in a way that other people can't. But it takes a lot of courage to then come back and self-reflection to say, you know what, like maybe that wasn't like what I wanted to do. And I think that that's the hard part because for some people, when you take a step back and you reflect on what you're not happy about, everything unravels and you can't get to the other side. And it feels like you have gotten to the other side. And and clearly I'm summarizing because we're in a, you know, 45 minute show, but there was a lot that that happened in between. But I want to make this interesting parallel because Bossy, which I'm using, which it actually sits on my desk. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so good because it sits like on my desk. So before I do anything, I'm always like, okay, let me get myself together. Mm -hmm. 
Oh my gosh. It's so, it's beautiful. And what I love is that hearing you talk about your story, Bossy Cosmetics, we say where beauty meets ambition, obsessed with igniting confidence in ambitious women. And there's something really interesting about your story of ambition, being confident in building this career, but then stopping in literally in your tracks of what that ambition led to, and then creating something else. So talk about how that translated into ambition is a positive thing, right? When you do it right. It's not a dirty word. (laughs) I mean, I think for me, the moment was realizing that I was so unhappy. I thought I, I, and I still believe that there are normal amounts of stress that you deal with when you are, you know, operating at very high levels, you know, managing teams, managing billions of dollars and all of that. There's a certain level of stress. I think I did not appreciate that I was way above that level of stress. And a lot of it was exogenous. A lot of it was endogenous for myself, just sort of generating these expectations and next and next. And you've got to be better than the next person. You've got to be better than you were yesterday. And of course, when you get that senior, you know, you're one of the few women in the room. You're definitely one of the only black folks in the room. And so you're, you're constantly in this loop of, you know, am I showing up in the right way? And I think for me, it was just, okay, you're already successful, right? You've been working for 20 some odd years. Like if you pull out the resume, check, 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 you know, went to the schools, did went to the jobs, like did all that stuff. You don't have anything to prove to anyone anymore. You no longer have college loans. You're no longer broke like you were 20 some odd years ago. I mean, I'm not rich, but I'm not poor anymore. Um, and so how do you reassess you know, this journey of having grown up in the projects, raised by a single mom, broke to being, you know, a married woman, mother of three sons, a woman of privilege, you know, with great education and background. How do you really use that now to do this Aisha 2.0 life? Like, what is this purpose that you think this whole previous 20 some odd years brought you to? And what are you passionate about? Like, how do we change the narrative about what it means to do fulfilling work? And not to say that I don't need money, of course. I mean, I'm a capitalist. I don't believe you can start a business that doesn't make money. Yes. (laughs) Let's put the passion and the purpose first. And if it's it's really great and it connects with people, then the money will come. And that for me was just the singular takeaway from the whole journey is the reason you are perpetually stressed, unhappy, hair falling out, like just unfulfilled is... You are not in your, you are not in your purpose. You are not doing what God sent you to this earth to do. You are not passionate about M&A for random oil and gas companies, right? Like this isn't the stuff that tickles you. So what can we do to bring that purpose and passion together in the form of a capitalist pursuit, a business? And that's how I got to Bossy Cosmetics. And it, it wasn't linear, right? Like you don't, do all these jobs and then become an entrepreneur who starts a, a, a company that sells lipsticks, which is what we started in the beginning. But I broke it down to, I believe my purpose is to really champion and empower women to look, feel, and do good. I believe that the most important ingredient in a successful woman's life is her ability to dial up her confidence levels, whether she feels it or not, right? Sometimes you got to faith it till you make it. Um, and sometimes we <laughs> yes. feel it, but how do we do that? And I then became obsessed with 
what is a unique way of dialing up a woman's confidence rather than just writing a blog or Mm -hmm. whatever, right? Like what Mm -hmm. could you do that you're passionate about that connects to confidence? And it became for me beauty. And so that was the perfect intersection. You know, there's so much that comes from experience, I have to say, because I think that we get to these points in our life where we can clearly look at passion, we can look at purpose, and then we understand the role of finance, right? And I think that it is, it takes time. And you're right, everything is on a journey. And I, I often think about, you know, what is the plan that God has for me? And how do I connect the pieces? And we get so caught up in the passion that it's like, is this a hobby or is this a job? Especially as an entrepreneur, because there's lots of hobbies. And I liken it to, um, and this is quite controversial, but as we're talking about it, you know, I love me some Joel Osteen. That's just it. I talk about it. People are like, I don't understand. But one of the things that he said is, you know, he has been ridiculed because he does make a lot of money. He doesn't take a salary from the church, not my business, but he lives in this home. And he was like, I don't think that God put us here to suffer when we're doing what he has ordained us to do from a passion perspective. And we sometimes get caught up in this capitalist is like a dirty word. But it's also like, we have to rise above our circumstance, right? So even when you talk about single mom and projects, and I'm like, I'm single mom, my parents divorced early on. And it's always this stigma of like, when I get to a certain place where I'm making so much money, like, is it okay? Or let me like cower behind it and let me not live this flashy life because I want to be able to relate to people. And I like how you broke it down. Because it is a hard thing, especially as Black women, I think, to overcome. Yeah. I mean, I'm very grounded in my spirituality, but I'm also grounded in the fact that I am here to to serve a purpose. And some days I know what that purpose is. Some days I don't. But you know, we live in the world. The Bible says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God. Like, I cannot go to Starbucks and say, let me quote you scripture and give me a coffee. <laughs> You've got to pay for the coffee, right? <laughs> Got to, I've got to pay my mortgage. I, my children have to go to school. They've got to wear clothes. Like th- we live in the real world, right? And so I think that you can live a God-given purpose within a capitalist system, and that is constantly the balance. But I don't, I don't see them at conflict at all. And in fact, I believe that the work I do is a form of worship. Like the way I work, I was talking to my my nine-year-old son yesterday when I picked him up from school, and he was like mommy, you work every day. There's no day you don't work. And I'm like, yeah, but you can come to my office. You hang out with me. I can work from home. Like I have such a flexible life because I'm my own employer. And he's like, do you like that? I said, I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. And that's not to say that it isn't hard. I mean, it is, you know what it's like to run a company, grow your company, get clients, get customers, all the things It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But I, you know, in unpacking it and trying to think about it more in creating beautiful cosmetics, all that stuff for me is is a form of worship. You know, creating the lip gloss that you wore that's called Empowered. I want you to feel empowered when you wear it. I'm wearing a lipstick right now that's Mm -hmm. called Subtle. On my cheeks, I have a color called Captivating, another one called Dynamic. I want women to embody all of those things So that when you show up as your best self, either in your personal life or your professional life, you feel those emotions behind the names. 
And I, I don't think that, you know, capitalism, it, it, there's not a problem with capitalism if it's healthy, if it's not hurtful, if it's not damaging the environment and people in the world. And so we as, as Black women have to be very clear on, you know, there is nothing against us being wealthy. <laughs> you know, I, I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to not have enough money to take a bus from Ithaca, New York to Ohio to, to see my mom for Thanksgiving and to have to stay on campus alone. That is, that's not great, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that we should not be ashamed to build industry, to build wealth, because that's also the way that you inspire other people. You inspire Black women, you inspire Black men, you, you inspire Latinas, you inspire white men and women. You inspire people by living out that dream that everybody has. And I don't think it's at cross purpose with anything. Well, and and the framing of which you say it, right? I think that that's what we kind of have to put into the forefront because at the end of the day, we have to be an inspiration. We have to do better. And we truly want to be better. And I think that there's this interesting duality between technology, between innovation, between the speed of which we're getting access to new things. And that's truly the foundation. So if we have access to more and we can get information faster, more seamlessly, there's tools that will help us speed the plow and, you know, in terms of what we're building, then like we have to lean into that. And with that becomes more opportunity to build, to achieve more. And so it's, it's like you said, it's kind of the building blocks of how it all works together. And the world is a better place with wealthy minorities, with wealthy women. Yes. <laughs> Nothing bad happens when women have more wealth. I'm, you know, like, I just, there's no other way to say it. Like, I, I have three sons. It is so important to me that they see their mother is a nonstop hustler. Like, she yes. bills, right? Like they come to my office, they see when we have camera crews here or we want Oprah's favorite things list or on TV, you know, they see all of those things. And so in their mind, a woman can achieve anything. And that's what I've done for them as a mom. And so I hope that when they interact with women as they grow up, that it's women can do anything from their perspective, right? Because they saw their mom just fall down, cry, but get up and build. Yes. Oh, Fall down, cry, get up and build. It, it, And that's the part, you know, not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur, right? I talk a lot about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and employees and contractors. And there's something to be said about the ability to fall down, cry, and get back up. It's so interesting because I had another guest on the show and we were talking about defining moments. And she said, all of mine are tied to a moment when I cried. And as she was telling the stories, I'm crying, but it was crying from the emotion of, wow, look at the things beyond what we ever saw, beyond what we imagined, and this great, vast opportunity that we have. And so I just love how you frame it, and then that your boys get to see it, and then everyone else, your team and everyone else around you gets to see what you're building. Yeah. You know, and I get to see that in other people, right? I mean, I I always say the three women that I just like absolutely adore, love watching, Oprah, Beyonce, and Melody Hobson, right? Like I adore <laughs> those for different reasons, of course. I mean, none, none of them are the same, but, you know, 
I just see excellence in them. I see, you know, plowing through adversity. I see just achievement. I see just sort of the multiplicity of managing different things, of, you know, sitting in different lanes, but in your own unique lane. I see so much from them. And because I see them do it, I know that I can do it, but I'm not trying to be Melody Hobson or Oprah or Beyonce, right? I'm trying to be Aisha. And I think I'm a pretty good Aisha. (laughs) I (laughs) did not give up. I have to fall and get back up, right? And then keep building. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I love how you use the words to define and inspire, right? And so you said excellence. You said achievement. You said multiplicity. But even when we were talking about, you know, my empowerment, there's something so commanding about the brand name, Bossy Cosmetics. There's something so empowering. And you talk about embodying the motion behind the names. So talk about what went into naming the company. So this leap of faith, naming the company and the intentionality behind the power of words. Yes. I mean, honestly, words matter. (laughs) But, you know, I'm one of these really impulsive people. When I get an idea, I'm like, I'll run through a wall for the idea. I just am not going to sit down and do like feasibility studies, hire a consultant. I'm just like, okay, let's go try it out. And so when I had this idea of, you know, beauty meets ambition, beauty meets wisdom, beauty meets purpose, I was like, what do you, what do you call this company? And the word bossy just like slapped me across the face. And the reason it did, there was this time Sheryl Sandberg had been talking about we're canceling the word bossy, right? Because it's like a pejorative Mm -hmm. term for girls. But I had a very different perspective. I was like, I'm going to take that word and we're going to reclaim it, right? Because Mm -hmm. when I was younger, most of us who, you know, always had an opinion were called bossy right? And you were called bossy because you were a girl, because you refused to shut up. And because you were like, no, no, I have an opinion. Uh, You know, pick me, pick me. I want to say my opinion. And if somebody gave their opinion and you disagreed with it, you were vocal about that. You were called bossy. And I realized that in so many of those moments, that was the moment that was meant to shut you up. But that should be flipped as the moment for you to know that people perceive your voice as a threat. It's important. Because if you were saying nonsense, they wouldn't call you bossy. No one calls a quiet girl bossy, and no one calls a girl who says nothing of value bossy. It's always somebody who's like, I have a voice. I need my voice to be heard. I have an opinion. And so I wanted to kind of flip the script and say, listen, let's talk about being bossy. Let's talk about what it means, and let's talk about reclaiming it. And let's make sure we as women think about that but that we speak to young girls and young ladies about that as well to make sure that they understand that when they're called bossy, they should call it out. They shouldn't be quiet. And that's how I picked the name of the company. Oh my gosh. So I love this reframing. It's so crazy because your son's nine, my daughter's eight. And I remember when she was in um, Kinder TK 
the teacher was saying how she, everyone in the class listened to her. And so she was like, I just want you to witness it. So I go to the class and I'm like picking her up and she's like telling all of the children to line up, telling them to clean up. And she's like, she's our little helper. And all the children did it. And I was like, oh my gosh, is she B-O-S-S-Y? I remember so vividly spelling it and I could not believe my eyes. And I said to the teacher, I said, is she B-O-S-S-Y? Like I couldn't, it was crazy. And I was just like, oh no, my daughter's B-O-S-S-Y. And she was just like, she's a leader. She's my helper. Like she gets the kids lined up. And as you were talking, I remember being like, this is really positive. And because, and then it's like, when she's your child, so she's probably bossy. We can, we can actually say the word. Um, but I love how you frame it because it, it's reclaiming the word. But I love that because in my mind, I was just like, oh my God, she's B-O-S-S-Y. And she's, she's a leader. Here's the thing, right? If it's a boy... The natural tendency is he is assertive. He's a natural leader. He knows when to stand up and to take control. Like it's all these positive things if it's a boy with the same attributes. But if it's a girl, she's pushy. She's bossy. If she's older, she's a bitch. She's, his, you know, it's she's hysterical. She's emotional. She's all of these things. And so that was my thing around. Let's talk about bossy guys. Let's, let's, let's have a conversation. And it's not just men, it's women. We often, I, you know, I will say this girl is bossy and I check myself now. Like, what does that mean? Like, what exactly are you saying when you think that she's bossy? Wow. I mean, it's so freeing and it's empowering because you're right. And that's how, when we talk about the conflict between the sexes, right. And gender norms and how are we stereotyping people? And it just we have to not be afraid to talk about it. And we can't get rid of words that actually have meaning that can be positive whenever we think about it in that way. And so I just, I love that. And even when you, there's a translation. So Bossy Cosmetics, I want to empower, I want women to have a voice and then translating that into the products. And so we have the vision, we have the creativity but then getting it right, right? Yeah. You talk about how it's not sticky, like you have these beautiful shades. Yeah. So coming from finance, how did you figure out that in between of, I've got the vision, I've got the name, I know what I want to do into products that work that we love? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about a team, right? You have to know, I think coming from finance, you realize that you know there are strengths within a team. If you want to build a scalable business, you can't do it by yourself. I've always said that if I started a business, it wasn't going to be a tiny mom and pop shop. I wanted to build something that had scale, that could have global appeal. And so I already knew what my skills were, and I knew where my complete blind spots were. And so I started looking to build a team of people who had expertise in my blind spot areas and people who had expertise in the areas where I had skills, but maybe those were not my best use of my skills, right? Like I studied economics and we have this concept of comparative advantage. And so I might be good at 10 things, but maybe I'm best at doing four things and finding somebody else to do those other six things. And together it's a synergy. And so I'm very honest with myself. I always tell people like, low ego zone with me. I will tell you I'm crap at this 
And I'm I'm happy for you to say, yeah, Aisha, you're not really good at that. And I want I want to work with people who are, I'm even happy to say I'm awful at these things. And I want to work with people who are great at the things I'm awful at. That's what I did. Yes. You know, I love you, first of all, all the things, all the intentionality. The hardest thing is the game of ego as founders, right? There's this, I'm a bootstrap, so I have to do everything and everything falls on me and blah, 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 blah. And then there's this, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just, it's all too much. I'm paralyzed. I can't even move forward. And then there's you saying like, this is my blind spot. I was talking to my executive coach and she's like, what's your blind spot? Like we got to get to the blind spot. And when you can get to that, then you can build an effective team that helps you be great and also allows your team to be great so that you do become a brain trust who can actually move it. And I think we get caught up and there's nothing wrong with like having to do all the pieces in the beginning. Like unless you were stacked and flushed with cash, we all had to have that learning. And then there's that pivot where it says, okay, come hell or high water, I've got to fire myself from certain things so that I can get to the greatness of what I want to do. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Like, I love to fire myself from things I'm not great at. And you're right. Like, when I first started, the logo of the company was absolutely ugly. It was like a $99 logo. I did an online competition, right? Like, I, I, (laughs) I was bootstrapped and did it like really like, you know, the product, the first set of products were in a clear bottle with a black cap with the ugly logo on it. But I was like, let's start out with something. And then as the brand started to build traction, people loved the messaging. They loved the product. I then hired my amazing Parisian designer who's worked with lots of brands. You know, she worked with Lancome, with Givenchy for many years. And I brought her on board, but that's after the brand started to really grow. And Stephanie's been with me now for four years, actually. And she said, listen, let's take the whole brand and let's redo it. So we hired a studio to redo our logo. We did all of our primary packaging redesign, secondary packaging redesign. So we've just been growing and we, you know, our customers have funded our business. We raised a little bit of money, but not a lot in terms of where we are. And we've just let the market help us see you know, where there's value, where there's an opportunity and where they want to see us go. And then we work with people who know what they're doing, right? I say, I bring the adults in the room when I need them. <laughs> well, it's so fascinating because do you feel like, and, and having been someone who's talking to founders and entrepreneurs like every week on the show and then just in my, my job, but I feel like there's something about your extensive background in global finance and and in particular capital markets, because there's so many nuances and challenges, right? And to have worked at the scale, like I love how you said, you know, scale, like I was, I'm not building a mom and pop, I'm building scale. But I feel like that mentality came from your background and then understanding how to navigate and and take a small raise and really expand it. Because that background was kind of everything. Did, did that inform you? Did it shape how you approached the business? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I've worked with the largest corporations you can imagine, right? So billion dollar corporations. And I'm running the exact opposite, right? I started with a very tiny company. But the beautiful thing about my experience is I can see the long arc objective. I can see what my vision of success, like in my office, what I'm looking at right now are a bunch of vision boards on my, on my wall. 
I have a model of success of what a successful corporation built by someone like me could look like. When I say I want a global footprint, I have an idea of the types of retailers, of the type of woman that I want to work with internationally. Because I, as I've lived in Central and South America, I've lived in Asia, I've lived in Sub-Saharan Africa, I've lived in Europe, I've worked in all of these places. I know my customer very intimately. So I know what it's like to build. I actually ran a multi-jurisdictional team as an investment banker. So I know what all of that looks like, but that's the long arc objective, right? All of those companies didn't become global massive footprints on day one. You have to start somewhere, but then knowing, okay, I'm here. I want to get there. So let's think about what we need to do this week. Let's think about what we need to do this month. Let's think about what we need to do this year. And so I know how to break it into smaller pieces. And I think that given my capital markets background, it's interesting. So I sit on the board of a publicly traded company um, and it's been such a delightful experience for me to get to do that for the last few years. Love the brand, love the management team and just the insights you develop, uh, you know, of myself being a CEO, but also serving on a board. But one of the things I know is that I'm not ready to be a publicly listed CEO. I have no aspiration to do that in the near future. I can see very clearly what that takes. And I want to give my business time to develop the kind of scale that it requires before I would even consider that, right? But that's because I I have taken companies public. I serve on the audit committee of a public company. So I'm intimately involved in what it looks like on that journey um, and I'm not FOMO. I'm not, you know, I don't see all these other brands doing things and oh, I want to do that. No, I'm in my lane. I know exactly what I'm trying to build and the way I want to build it and in the time I need to build it. There's such a wealth of knowledge and experience that you bring to the table. And I think it's so important because this notion of FOMO, whether it's through social media or articles or even just in conversation with other founders and about their journey And there's something so special about the grounding that you have because you've seen it and you can articulate it and you can say it. And that's the seeds of manifestation, right? And that's not to say that you won't be, you know, a CEO in terms of that scale with a publicly traded company. But to your point, it's the, I'm creating a sustainable business, right? And sustainable on multiple levels. And I know where I need to go, where I need to grow and what I need to build. And so even as you think about that statement, because that's a bold statement, and I know that at some point I'm going to be like ringing the bell, I'm going to be there as you ring it. Um, What do you see as the future steps to get you there? Is it capital? Is it a team? Is it retail expansion? Like uh, share a little bit of your blueprint. I was going to say it's everything you said, right? But it's, I think the most important thing, and I want to be clear, like I avoid FOMO at all costs, but I'm also human, right? So, you know, I feel like envy is like a human feeling, right? The same way, like it, you know, we, we cry, we eat, we whatever, right? So you hear of somebody who's doing something really amazing and you think to yourself, oh man, I should be doing better. So I think that that does happen, but I try to stay very disciplined with, okay, what focus on what you are doing. I think the most important thing for me is focusing on my customer. I think so many people, and myself included, you know, you're thinking about retail expansion, bigger, 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 bigger. But I think that you can go big and fall if you are not really grounded. And so my thing is to just really focus on each person. Like, what are we, like, I think about my customer as an archetype and 
How, why is she, why is she attracted to bossy? How are we treating her? What is her customer journey when she comes to our website or when she engages with us on social media or on Amazon, you know, when she picks up the product, the packaging, how does she feel? So it's really, I'm so, I'm like overwhelmingly focused on the individual because I feel like when you give her such an amazing experience, she will then share that information with other people. And so that's kind of almost like the guerrilla tactics that I have of just being such an intimate part of women's lives and making them feel so amazing that they come back and they purchase or that they talk about it. And then all of that, what that does is that it creates a brand, right? Where people now hear of you, people know of you, your sales are growing, you know, there's this pull factor now. And so that's really what, you know, of course, yeah, retail expansion is huge for us. Capital, of course, you can't do any of these things without capital, but you want to make sure when you get the capital, you're going to use it in the wisest way, right? Because, you know, having worked with capital providers, having raised capital for companies, it's not free money. There's a lot of expectation (laughs) that comes along with that. And so you need to make sure that your business is ready for that. Yes. And and that is the key piece. And when we talk about envy, we talk about FOMO. So much of that is the perception of what we think to be true based upon a reality that someone wants us to believe. So I've gone out and raised all this money. I'm doing this. I'm sitting on this high throne. And it's like, yes, you've raised money. You owe that back times, times, times. Um, and so is that is that right? Is that where you need to be? And then there's the realities of growing and scaling a business and understanding those moments. And, you know, when we get down to the best, the brass tactics of what that means, you have a new collection launching, um, which is so exciting, extremely bossy by nature, buttery blush, which I cannot wait. My makeup artist is like, you need to do pinks, they're good for you. Stop yes. with not doing it. And yes. so you've got this big launch. You're growing the business. How are you thinking about the steps to the rollout? Does capital play a piece? Or is it let me invest in terms of what we have in the company, roll this out, and then stay fo- so focused on the customer that then I can look at what's the evolution of capital for the company? You know, it's a great question. I, you know, I'm I'm in this vein of always be raising. (laughs) You know, we've raised a million and a half dollars as a brand in four and a half years, which is, as you know, not a lot of money. And I think that we have really put that money to work very nicely. I think I want to be very milestone driven if I would raise more money. So if we are fortunate enough to get into another exciting retailer, uh, we're currently in over 600 stores with JCPenney around the country. Mm-hmm. We're also launching in a bunch of boutique stores. So that's really exciting for us. Yeah. And we're very open to prestige beauty retail as an option and having some conversations. So if any of those um, become unlocked, then, you know, capital is where you then use to catalyze what's been unlocked. But Do I want to build a whole team? Yes. Do I need a massive team right now? No. You know, I have really strong team right now, design, fulfillment, as well as sales. And we are growing the business that we have right now. And it's doing really well. 
if we, as I said, have an opportunity to, you know, step change, then we will probably look to capital to fund that, to unlock that step change. It is it's the milestones. And that's why I just, I geek out over this piece of it, because what's going to unlock and what is going to catalyze our need for capital? How do we use it? And then how do we show the impact on the business? And so I really encourage our listeners to take what you're saying and think it, think of it from a milestone perspective yeah. and really focusing on the customer because then you'll know if it's needed in the market or if it's not. Yeah. And you are in a dynamic category. We know that lip sells through the roof. Yeah. So we also know that, that it is a crowded space. And yeah. so how you listen to your customer, how you break through yeah. is truly, I think, the future of you know, how you're creating this wonderful world of bossy women. <laughs> Every day I'm learning, right? Every day I'm learning. And it's such an honor to get to learn in the real world with real customers. And that's how we have to look at it. You know, I always say like the beauty of community mentorship and education is that there's always something we don't know, like we're human, right? If we knew everything, then the world would be a completely different place. And so this openness to education and to learn and to do it in the real world, because we can do a lot in the back end, we can read a lot. But it's the touch point of what are we act- actually seeing and how are we taking that and then translating that into our businesses. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this is amazing. I am going to continue. How, how many times can I just put this on all day? Um, but as we, <laughs> I like it because so it, it. it looks um, it's universally flattering color. So I'm so glad you love it. Right. I keep saying how pretty it is because it's so pretty. So as we close out the show, we always, we're about community, you know me. So we always love to talk about your brands, but then we also like to shout out other brands, other founders that we should support. So Aisha, what's another brand that we should check out? Oh my God. So it's a hair care. Am I, do I have to do, do I have to do in beauty in uh, cosmetics or can I do a brand? Outside you can do whatever. Whoever we need to support, we are supporting. Natural Drenched is it's a hair Oh hair. my gosh. Yes. You know her? <laughs> I well, not only is she an amazing human being, I love her products. I use her products. I have a, a natural afro and they just keep my, my curls very hydrated and looking great. And you know, she's just a great founder. She's also in JCPenney stores, is in Credo Beauty, and I just really I love that we can support someone like her. She's an amazing woman, amazing founder who makes amazing products. And I want to see her win. And I will say she's been on the show. Um, so Naturally Drenched has been on the show. So I want everyone to go back and listen to that episode. And we will continue to support her, Jamila, and the brands and everything that um, that she's doing. So I love it whenever it's a full circle because there's so many great nuggets of product and we have to keep talking about it and supporting our fellow sister panistas so appreciate you um i am so excited for the new collection i'm excited for you and i can't wait for us to be back together (laughs) thank you so much kendra i really appreciate this and well done on all the stuff that you've been doing building and beauty and building businesses building community fantastic work well done And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And this week, thank you, Aisha. Make sure to follow at Naturally Drenched. 
You can also check out Jamila and Naturally Drenched on one of our previous episodes of Business of the Beat. So make sure to follow Naturally Drenched. And as always, I want to leave you with one thing from today's guest, and that is, what is your blind spot? Aisha talked about understanding and acknowledging her blind spot and how she built her team around that. So I encourage you to identify your own blind spot so that you can overcome and move forward in progress. And with that, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, and on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.